Hey, good morning. You'll notice that uh, Pastor Stephen went on and uh, sat down, and uh, we are continuing, continuing our walk through uh, the letters to the seven churches here at the very beginning of Revelation. And uh, I have the opportunity, the privilege of walking with you through uh, the sixth letter to the church at Philadelphia. You know, we, uh, to understand the rest of the book of Revelation, uh, you have to look at these first three chapters, and you have to understand uh, how God reveals himself uh, to these churches and the message that he has to these seven churches. And so through that lens, and these letters are, are small, very short letters, many letters, uh, to these churches in a, a larger letter uh, that John uh, transcribes uh, from the word, uh, the words of Jesus to the churches there, and and by application and and uh, on down to us uh, the wisdom that it that it contains. So today we are in the third chapter. Uh, we'll begin in verse seven. We'll go through thirteen. Um, these seven churches are in in. Uh, and we've gone over over the last few weeks in, in what's now modern Turkey. Um, some of them there are, are uh, ruins that you can uh, see that people walk among. They can go to some of these uh, biblical sites uh, or some of the, some of the uh, temples to uh, pagan gods or Roman emperors. Uh, they can walk uh, the streets. They can see the, the architecture there. In Philadelphia, there is none of that. Uh, it was, uh, there is a modern city uh, built right on top of it. And really the oldest structure that they've been able to, uh, to excavate and look at was built in about 600 BC, excuse me, 600 AD. Uh, so it's, it's, it's old, but not some of the biblical architecture there. Let's read uh, through this passage here. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to that. You know, we firmly believe that God's Word is important in our lives, primarily because God reveals Himself to us through His Word. And so if we're not in that Word, uh, we're not fully seeking after God. So if you, if you uh, grab the paper Bible or turn to your, your electronic Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take one of the, uh, the hard copy, uh, the hardcover ones uh, from under the, uh, the chairs there. And uh, if that one doesn't seem to work with you, uh, let us know and, and we'll find a, a Bible that works with you in there. But go and turn to uh, Revelation 3, beginning verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet... You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet 
and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try, to, excuse me, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, this uh, word uh, from Jesus uh, that John has written down is, is to the believers at the city of Philadelphia, to the church there, but also to us and, and all the believers throughout uh, the world, throughout all time, uh, because of its wisdom and its application. So as with all the other letters, it begins with an address uh, or, or a, a small preface there. And much as, like we saw in uh, walking through the book of Psalms, some of those are... are uh, really deep. And you could build a whole sermon, a whole in-depth study here just on verse 7, trying to understand all that Jesus has uh, for this church here. Um, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, um, what is Philadelphia? I mean, and, and why do we need to, to understand the the uh, setting and who they are. Uh, one of the uh, uh, Bible study tools or older uh, magazines that I uh, used to read in depth and I haven't in quite a while is the Biblical Illustrator. And it was always really good for diving deep uh, into uh, a, a study topic. But a couple of articles on, on the city of Philadelphia uh, here in, in Revelation, you could build a couple of hours off of all that that knowledge about that city that's in there. Uh, but uh, to understand what God is saying to those people, you have to uh, understand their circumstances. Uh, they're historical and cultural and, and religious and, and social factors of that original audience help us understand what God is saying in His message to that audience there as well. So believe it or not, I, I still have... 25-year-old biblical illustrators downstairs my, uh, on my shelf. I know, yes, indeed. Uh, like I said about Philadelphia, there's, there's, uh, there's no great pictures up here. Stephen and Jeff have been able to show you pictures of the times that, uh, that they have walked in, in Ephesus and some of the other cities. Uh, this modern city is right on top of it. But Philadelphia was founded uh, about 150 years uh, before Christ was born um, by... Uh, the kingdom of Pergamon, and that was one of the kingdoms there in Asia Minor. They, they uh, were sort of allies of, of the Greek uh, uh, state there. And it, when you hear Philadelphia, and it's sort of uh, joked, I mean, some think about the largest city there in Pennsylvania, uh, the capital there, and, and I think about Philadelphia, Mississippi, uh, a little bit uh, smaller community there. But the city of brotherly love, and it was founded... Uh, by uh, one of these kings of Pergamon, uh, Eumenes. 
uh, and his brother Attalus. And Attalus was actually called Attalus Philadelphios, uh, one who loves his brother. Uh, because in a time where, where uh, royal siblings or royal brothers uh, it might be a relationship fraught with danger, and, and sometimes it was mortal peril to, to be a brother of a king, these two genuinely loved each other. And so in this kingdom, they uh, founded this, uh, uh, this city. And uh, we know that these seven churches are, are some, sort of on major trade routes and later on a Roman uh, postal road. Uh, so they're all not too far from each other. We know that Philadelphia is only about 30 miles uh, uh, from one of the other cities that we've studied and about 45 to 60 miles uh, sort of northwest of uh, Laodicea, which we'll look at next week. And so they're all sort of grouped together, uh, not too far from each other. But this was a gateway city. This was a, a city sort of on the edge of, of uh, that, that kingdom and uh, at a cultural crossroads. And it was supposed to be a, a, a missionary city, not in a uh, Christian evangelical sense of the mind, uh, but a, a missionary city to send Greek culture uh, further east. Um, and it was also sort of an open-door city for, for people to come and, and learn about Greek culture and religions and, and society and, and everything there. Uh, so it was very strategic. Uh, it was a, uh, a gateway to the east there. It was supposedly a, a beautiful city. Uh, great fertile plains around it, great for growing grapes. But what made that, that ground so fertile was the... Uh, amount of volcanic ash in there. And it, it, uh, that plain that stretched all the way back to Ephesus and the seacoast uh, was built upon layers of, of lava from long extinct volcanoes. And because of that underground activity, this area was susceptible to earthquakes. And earthquakes and the danger and the, the Fear that that brings uh, play very importantly in the lives of these people of Philadelphia. So in about 17 uh, AD, the city of Philadelphia and about a dozen other cities were completely destroyed by a huge major earthquake. And some of these, some of these aftershocks lasted for years. I mean, just recurring aftershocks. There was a lot going on there. So they, they were really, I mean, they, they learned to live with, with this impermanence and, and this fear of things happening again. And uh, quite often people would live outside of the city. So these were people that, that knew what it was like to live with an impermanence and, and a fear there as well. Rome helped rebuild the city. Uh, they, I mean, they, I mean, let them go tax-free for a while, but they also had some major financial investments in there. And so at, at one point, they had changed the name of the city of Philadelphia to Neo-Caesarea, Caesar's new city, or new city of Caesar. And it was later on changed uh, because a uh, favor to another Roman emperor, uh, Flavius. It was named Flavia, and then it changed back to Philadelphia. So they were also a people who knew what it was like to live with a new name or a different name. 
So that's sort of that introduction. And why, I mean, we have to understand what their circumstances were there in Philadelphia so that we can understand Jesus' words and why he uses the symbolic language that he does. And we'll, we'll look at that. Just like all the other letters, Jesus introduces himself in some very symbolic ways also. Uh, that you have to really step back and say, okay, what's this mean? And we see there in the rest of uh, uh, verse 1, he says, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I mean, Jesus is described as uh, as the Holy One, and we know that uh, He is the pure one, undefiled. He's separate. Separate from creation because he's the creator. I mean, separate from, from sin because he is sinless. Um, so he is, I mean, the holy one. We understand the true one also, that he's the real God, the genuine God. There are were, there were many other gods worshipped in Philadelphia. Um, ancient gods, Greek gods, Roman gods. I mean, because of the, the grape culture there. Uh, the goddess uh, or, or the god Dionysius was, was worshipped. And so, I mean, they, there were many other false gods worshipped there. So Jesus is telling them, I am the true God. I am the genuine, the true Messiah there. Um, we look back to John's gospel where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That, that truth that he is. So he says, I am the true one. Who has the key of David. Jesus has authority. Here we, uh, I mean, he alone has absolute authority. And, and only through him do people come into the Father's presence. He alone uh, has authority over who will enter God's kingdom. Uh, we can uh, look and see what the, the key of David means. Uh, when we look back at the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 22, uh, King Hezekiah um, gets rid of his uh, one chief steward and appoints a new chief steward there, um, Elohim. And it says uh, there in uh, chapter 22 of Isaiah, it says that he places the key of David on his shoulder. He has control over who has access to the king. The key unlocks the door to the king's presence. And if he shuts it, no one gets in. If he opens it, that person can go in. Uh, That's Elohim. An earthly king uh, has that authority. Our God, Jesus, has the ultimate authority has even greater uh, authority uh, from God there. It says, Who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Uh, Jesus' authority belongs only to Him. Uh, He is the door to salvation, and He has that key. So we uh, have that introduction there where, where He addresses who it's to, and then describes himself. We had uh, looked at these other uh, uh, 
letters to the churches, and for the churches received a, a, a commendation or, or an encouraging word, but then also have a word of rebuke. I mean, this, I was trying to think that no ifs, ands, or buts, but in, in four of them, there is a, a, uh, a but. I know your works, but. We uh, looked a, a couple of weeks ago at, a, uh, or last week at Sardis, and they actually had no commendation. He didn't say, uh, he, I mean, say you have this good going for you, but I see this problem. Sardis had, had no, uh, no commendation uh, going for it. Only Smyrna and Philadelphia had no rebuke in here. And so, I mean, we're looking at, uh, at uh, beginning in verse 8, how Jesus commends that church there. And they are a church that honors Jesus. We're going to see that here. They have a passion for pleasing God. And folks, they are a church that we want to be like. We can look at, at uh, God's uh, encouraging and uh, good commending words for this church. And we say, okay, that's, let's go there. Let's do that. Um, he knows their works, period. Um, their faithful service, their patient endurance. Uh, they keep God's word. And they do not deny his name when the time gets tough. So, I know your works, Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We uh, have, have looked at that uh, imagery of an open door uh, already, and Jesus is saying, because, uh, because I see your works, because I know what you, what you do, I've put before you this open door. And like many things in, in Revelation and, and uh, the apocalyptic writings and, and some of the, the prophetic writings uh, uh, have the, the differences in interpretation of how you look at things. And so this open door could be seen as opportunities for mission or ministry. You have been faithful in, in a few things, so I'm entrusting you with more. Here's, here's an opportunity for great ministry, uh, for evangelism, for, for uh, missions. Uh, I, I know, I've seen the evidence of, of your works, and, and so here's this, this open door. And knowing this church, they would walk on through it. Um, it could also be interpreted as a, as a door into God's presence. Uh, they've been faithful to Jesus. They have kept uh, true to his word. They have not denied him. And so they, they have access to God's presence there. Uh, Jesus, who has the key, has opened it for the believers and, and no one can shut it. He says they have but little power. Uh, they might be a small church, uh, humble. They might not have many resources or, or influence. They could be excluded. I mean, the, the Jewish communities uh, here in Asia Minor are, are 
um, often second-class uh, citizens, uh, even though they, they have, have worked closely with the Romans, the Christians are, are excluded from these Jewish communities. They, they're considered heretics by the Jewish uh, communities there. And so they're pushed even further out there. So these believers might have uh, very little influence. They, they are certainly, as we're going to see here, are, are persecuted. Uh, have some uh, tough times and, and trials there. So they're likely on the, the outskirts of, of society here and all. And he says, uh, I know that you have but little power, maybe small resources, and yet you have kept Jesus' word and have not denied his name. It says there in the rest of verse 8, they've, they've stayed faithful to the Jesus that they proclaim. Uh, they have not denied his name. When it might have been so easy uh, to, to go along, to get along, and, and, and denied, and, and not stood up as believers in, in Jesus here. It says, behold, or, or see, or thus, uh, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. These are tough words uh, for uh, those who should, who, who are God's people there. But they have rejected the Messiah. They, have, they are, are uh, not uh, proclaiming who Jesus is. They, they are rejecting that. Um, they're supposed to be God's people, and yet they've, they've excluded and, and persecuted and pushed out these, these believers who do proclaim Jesus' name. And so Jesus here is saying to them, uh, I mean, and he's, he's saying that they're the synagogue of Satan. Anyone who opposes God and opposes Jesus is on the side of Satan. And so he's, he has these hard words for him here. And this, whatever that particular synagogue is doing against these, these Christians, um, Jesus is calling it out here and says, Behold, I mean, they lie. They're, they say that they're Jews. They say that they are my people, but they've, they've denied and rejected the Messiah that I sent. They lie. And he says, uh, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Bow down at their feet. Not to worship the believers, but to worship God. They're going to realize that, that these believers, uh, that these followers of Jesus, the, the, uh, the saved church there at Philadelphia, are loved by God. They are the family of God. And all the world will know at that point that who God is and Jesus is his son. Jesus is the Messiah there. Jesus is the Christ. We uh, see that, uh, I mean, they will, they will bow down and worship and, and uh, just not in worship, they'll bow down in realization that these are now the people of God. 
verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to draw, to try those who dwell on the earth. Too many T words there. Uh, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. They, they've, they've, they've persevered in the face of the persecution and, and everything that's going on. They have not denied Jesus' name. They've stayed with it and, and uh, held firm there. Because they kept that word about patient endurance, uh, Jesus says that he will keep them from the time of trial that, or from the hour of trial that would come upon the whole world. And then this, uh, uh, this hour that he speaks of is, is uh, symbolic of a, of a definite time period, not an indefinite time, but a, a definite time period where trials and tribulations will increase until Jesus returns, until that second coming. Uh, it says that he will keep them from the, from the time of trial that's going to come upon the whole world. No one's going to, uh, to escape that. Uh, we'll see the increasing time or trials and tribulations, and believers might face increasing persecution. But Jesus promises here that he will keep them uh, through there. This is a, a, I mean, he'll protect and preserve and, and guard them during this. He doesn't say that I will remove you from these times of trials and tribulation, but I'll protect you through them. The, uh, uh, the try that it uses there in, in uh, verse 11, excuse me, verse 10, it says, uh, try those who dwell on the earth. This is a... Uh, a time of, of uh, tribulation that will be uh, specifically for those who are unbelievers. That idea or that, that phrase of those who dwell on the earth or, or earth dwellers is used throughout the book of Revelation. And in each, each instance, it refers to unbelievers, uh, not, the, not the believers and not the church. So he says... Uh, I will keep you from the hour of trial or that time of, of increasing tribulation that is coming on the whole world. I'll, I'll protect you during that time. Uh, and it's a time to try those uh, who are unbelievers, uh, those uh, who do not call upon his name. Uh, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus says, I am coming soon. And this is a promise of an imminent return. And this church there at Philadelphia was, was expecting, uh, was hopefully and, and assuredly expecting Jesus' return, just like we are today. It is still imminent uh, this time. Uh, and that's our cry of, as believers, right? Come, Lord Jesus. I mean, that promise of Jesus that I am coming soon. So hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And we look, he tells them to hang on to. I mean, don't, don't let go of what you have. And, and we ask what, what they have. They have his word, which they have stayed true to. They have his name, which they have not denied they did not walk away from. They have his promise 
of perseverance through these times of trials, that he will see them through that. He says, hang on to these things. Hold fast uh, so that no one can seize your crown. This isn't uh, some royal diadem there. We think of this as, a, as that crown placed upon uh, maybe uh, an ancient Olympian uh, for, for completing, for, for persevering through that, that race, that long race. And, and that idea of, uh, uh, I mean, Paul tells Timothy uh, there in his second letter to his, uh, his co-worker and, and dear friend in, in ministry there, he says, I, I have fought that good fight. I, excuse me, I have fought that good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And he, he finishes that, that uh, saying or that phrase uh, saying that that crown of righteousness is for all who have loved Jesus appearing. For all those who are expectantly awaiting his imminent return. Uh, those uh, whose hearts are set on Jesus' return. Uh, we studied uh, the book of James uh, a few months ago here, and, and some of our small groups have as well. And James tells us uh, uh, that the one who remains steadfast under trial, who stands fast when faith is tested, will receive the crown of life. Uh, that is eternal life for those who persevere. That's what that crown is. Not that uh, one's going to... Uh, uh, take their salvation away. What this crown is, is, is that acknowledgement of having persevered, that celebration, that, that uh, uh, just that, that acknowledgement of having stood fast and held fast there. In each of these letters, we uh, have a word of, uh, to those who have, have, accomplished or, or finished, who have persevered. Use this phrase, the, the one who conquers, the one who is, is there at the end. And in verse 12, he says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name. This is a promise to those who uh, persevere and hold fast. I will make them an immovable pillar in the temple of my God. God is that temple. I mean, for, for people who, whose city was destroyed, and quite often each time they, they started to rebuild, there was a strong... Uh, aftershock and things fell again uh, and you looked at some of the pictures and it was just i mean of course it's been two thousand years but just ruins uh they're not they're not preserved these things have fallen and so this idea of a a immovable permanent uh that god will never be removed from uh that's got to speak clearly to to them when he says, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out of it. They will be with God forever. You know, there's uh, 
the, the rest of uh, Revelation, uh, we see later on, it talks about this, this new temple uh, coming down from heaven. And um, we often think of a, a physical, structural temple. Uh, the people aren't going to be turned into, into pillars there. They're going to be uh, uh, part of that new temple there. They will be uh, an immovable part of it with him forever there. Uh, nothing will remove them from God's presence. Um, and on them, Jesus will inscribe the name of my God. Uh, we belong to him. Uh, if you remember uh, that, that movie Toy Story, uh, if you want to realize how, how old we're getting, that was made 25 years ago. <laughs> and... and when uh, Woody comes uh, to the house and, and one day he, he looks at the sole of his, uh, of his boot there. And what's it say? Andy. He belonged to Andy. And I could just picture that, uh, that boot there. And I had that picture there when it says he will uh, inscribe the name of God on him. I mean, yeah, a, a cartoon movie. Uh, but God will write his name on us. That name of God showing that we are His. And the name of the new city or the name of the city, the new Jerusalem, uh, that's there. And, and interesting, and we have to look a little bit further at it, and, and the Jesus' own new name there. There are, there are names uh, and, and uh, identifiers and, and revelations uh, Revealing of, of who Jesus is that we can understand and see. When we look at, at Jesus' second coming on, a little bit further on in Revelation 19, and I didn't give this uh, passage to the, uh, uh, to the cave team, but uh, for those who have, have studied on into Revelation and, and uh, the, the horsemen there and the, uh, the appearing... Uh, of the, the four horsemen and all, but he's talking about a, uh, a rider on a white horse here in uh, chapter 19. A lot of symbolism in, uh, in Revelation. You really have to uh, look and see if it's explained in the passage that you're in or, or explained in a later, later passage um, or someplace else in there. Or if it's not explained in God's Word, if it's one of those mysteries that we won't understand until, until that day, until we're in His presence. This new name of Jesus that He talks about, uh, we, we may not understand until then when all is revealed to us. Um, we see things uh, very, very dimly and faintly now, but that day we will see things fully. So, I mean... In, in this passage there are, uh, especially in verse uh, 19, especially in verse 12, uh, about what we uh, uh, see in there. But let me read that passage beginning in verse 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on him is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is 
the Word of God. And the armies of heaven ride, arrayed in fine linen, white pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So some of these names we, we know, we, we've, we've seen throughout God's word uh, for Jesus here. And that's who that, that rider is on that, that white horse there. And we go back to the very first passages of, of uh, Revelation 1, and it talks about uh, he has a sword coming out of his mouth. And we have that imagery here. But he's called faithful and true, which we've seen in, in today's passage also. And, and he is uh, the word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But back there in verse 12, it says uh, there's a name written on him that, that no one knows but himself. Uh, so it's one of those that, I mean, Jesus is so indescribable in his fullness to us on this side of eternity that uh, there, there are parts of him or descriptions of him that we will not fully understand or realize or be too terrible to to understand right now too much for us to understand until that day so these names that are written on them signify to who they are whose they are they are god's where they are i mean where their home is and who their lord is so he says i will write I will make him a pillar, and, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and my own new name. Like all the other letters, uh, John begins to close out uh, this letter with, uh, uh, with a command. Where he's telling them, uh, uh, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This letter is to, to that church uh, there in Philadelphia, to everything that they're going through. John is writing down these words that Jesus has given to him. And, and the, the messenger will carry it to that church there. But it's also written to us, uh, uh, to all the churches there. Believers in all churches are commanded to hear what God is saying uh, to this church here. And he says that uh, in each of those letters here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's our response in here? Uh, we've, we've seen what Jesus is telling these believers in Philadelphia, and we can we can apply it to our lives as, as, as a church who wants to honor God. Uh, we're, we're reminded to press in, to, to step in and, and uh, hold fast to what we're doing, to, to honor God and to keep God's word. We revere God's word here. We proclaim God's word. We dive in together into God's word. Uh, we stand for Jesus' name. We persevere, and when, when 
times uh, get tough, uh, we have patient endurance. That means keeping our eyes on God's bigger picture, no matter what we're going through. We know that we have to, we have to pay attention and focus to the trials that we're in and the situations that we're in. But we serve a much bigger God. And we know that, that there is a, a much bigger plan than we realize. So we have patient endurance in everything that we go through. That everything that we're experiencing around us, brothers and sisters, we hold fast to what is good. We hold fast to what we have, had, what, we have what we've been given. For non-believers, uh, we're commanded to, uh, to respond in, in repentance and faith. If you don't know who Jesus is, if, if He's not your Savior, our prayer is and our, 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 our aim is that, that you hear that call. We want to share that with you and walk you through that. Uh, we want to, uh, to dive deeper with you into God's Word and let, let Him reveal Himself to you in His Word and in His presence. It could be that, that God is, is uh, challenging you to, to maybe walk through an open door, to try something new in ministry. He may be leading you uh, to a, a ministry opportunity here in the church or, or to Bulgaria or someplace far away. God, God is preparing each and every one of us for the next thing that He has appointed for us. Uh, he's equipping us. Uh, he's... he's uh, getting you ready for something. So if that's uh, the direction that you hear God calling you in, uh, talk to Stephen uh, or, or one of the, myself or one of the other leaders here. We would love to walk you through that. Uh, thank you for walking through this letter to the church at Philadelphia with me today. This is uh, an encouraging church that honors God, that loves His Word. Let us be that church. Let's close in prayer now. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for uh, showing us who you are through your letter to the church at Philadelphia. We thank you for uh, uh, challenging us, even uh, when we're, we're doing the right things, to hold fast, to step in, to uh, press in even harder. Father, we thank you uh, for uh, the encouragement that we can uh, receive by, by applying, applying what you say to this church and to our lives. Father, make us hungry for your word. Uh, encourage us to uh, daily dive in to reveal yourself to us to draw us closer to you. Father, we thank you uh, for all that you have given to us, that all that you have equipped us with. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.